Uh, it's, uh, I'm so excited. That's not moving. Because I need to do that, right? Just ignore it. All right, I'm excited to share with you a little bit tonight. I'm going to do the first part of this presentation, and Kim's going to give a lot of the meat um, for you as far as some practical ways to engage your family in technology. Um, but before we really dive into it, I want to just do two things. I first just want to read some scripture over us before we start, and then I want to pray. And then we'll go into just the why we would want to have a conversation about families and technology. So in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, a couple of my favorite verses have always been um, verses 5 and 6 where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and a, refle- a refreshment to your bones. And I think that's timely for us to start with tonight because to lean on our own understanding in a world of technology and media, it, it leads to exhaustion, can lead to weariness, can lead to brokenness. But even things like what we're talking about tonight in the world of media, we can lift to God and say, we're not going to lean in our own understanding of this. We're going to give this to God. We can give our technology. We can give a world of technology um, over to the Savior of the world, and He can both breathe new life into it, and He can use it to be able to glorify His kingdom and deepen our family's relationship with each other and with the extended family that we have. And so I wanted to start with that just as a reminder that this is not our own uh, objective tonight to come to an understanding that we feel completely comfortable with media. But it's to come to an understanding that we can rely on God to guide us and direct us as we manage the things in this world that are in front of us and around us. So let's start with prayer and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit. Dear Jesus, I give you praise for always being the truth. For always being grace and love. For longing for us to share your story with the world. For being a God over technology that you are stronger than it. For being a God who can be glorified through the ways that we see one another, talk about one another, engage in life with one another. That you are the God who is the inventor of words, images, value. And that you would allow us again to come to an understanding of how to utilize something that is speaking globally. And that we would be able to use it for your kingdom. Personally for us, Jesus, I pray that it's first and foremost a a place that we can come to you and offer it for our families. That you would protect our families. That you would guide them and direct them. And second, Lord, I pray that we would learn how to use these opportunities to share your story in a world that's longing for a story of purpose and redemption so much. It's through you that we pray. Amen. A little bit about me. 
uh, as to a reason that you you might listen for the next couple of minutes as to what I say. Uh, the first would be that I am the social media strategist for Back to Back Ministries. If you're familiar with Back to Back, we do global orphan care. Uh, my part of my role with them, in addition to the work that I do as a, a director of 121, which is the second part that I'll tell you about in a second, is that my job, part of my job, is to be able to navigate and guide social media strategies to engage more people around the world in global orphan care. So we use things like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, blogging, websites, all of those things in order to draw a conversation in social media platforms around global orphan care, to partner with other organizations that are doing global orphan care, to draw our voice into that story, to champion the men and women around the world who are transforming the lives of people um, through the work that they're doing. And hopefully our, our ultimate goal is to draw people from being curious about orphan care to being advocates for the orphan globally. And we think that just using technology and media that we can do that. And one of the things that I, I said that I found rewarding is uh, uh, of how it works is that last year we had an opportunity for a group of people. I was actually leading the trip. So I was, I was involved in two levels. I was leading a trip to Mazatlan. I had space on my team to go to Mazatlan with me. And as the social media strategist, I get to post whatever I want. And so I'm thinking as back-to-back ministries, I should invite people to go on a mission trip with me. But because the mission trip was specific to special needs children, I built a team of just men and women who were trained in special needs background. I was able to post on the back-to-back Facebook page, there's going to be a trip to Mazatlan, Mexico for special needs children. If you're interested, contact this person. Simply through a social connection, a lady in Maryland whose trip had just fallen apart, sees a Facebook post, forwards it to her husband and says, do you think this is what I was supposed to do instead? He then sends a message back to her and says, email back to back and see if this is what you're supposed to do and we'll, fund, we'll wire the money over immediately. So within two hours, the spot gets filled by a woman who is trained in special needs. She's the special needs coordinator for the volunteer ministry at her church, at a church in Maryland that I've never met before. We meet her in the airport in LAX. We do the first trip. She goes from Baltimore. We go from Cincinnati. We meet in LAX for the first time. We spend the week together because of that opportunity and the connection that she made with the other people on the trip. She and the other group members are now doing their own trip to Mazatlan without me, which is the best trips um, is without me. That's don't ask my wife about that. But uh, the trips without me are the best because that means that we've multiplied. And so because of one Facebook post, Two families from Dayton and Cincinnati are now connected, leading their own special needs mission trip to Mazatlan without any back-to-back staff support. That's the power of social media. And that's the power of being able to have technology that can reach beyond communication boundaries and relationships that we used to have. Uh, My job with Back to Back is to keep that growing. Last week, I 
finagled a way to get a tweet retweeted by a ministry called International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission on Twitter has over 120,000 people who are following them. So they just shared about back-to-back ministries to 120,000 college-age-ish, high school-age students that we had no connection with before. And all of a sudden on our Twitter account, all of these people that we have never met through back-to-back start following back-to-back ministries. They're about what International Justice Mission is about. Now, maybe they'll be about what back-to-back is about because of communication. So I do some strategy with that. In addition, for the last 13 years, I've been deeply rooted in the youth culture, both as a youth pastor in a local church and uh, for the last six plus years as the director of 121 for back to back. I will share the gospel in a calendar year with over 1,500 high school students, a few hundred junior hires, as long as they all make it through the week. Um, you can lose them like crazy. They're junior hires. And, um, and then families, and I'll do leadership development. We're working with 40 churches in Dayton and Cincinnati um, in Indianapolis now. Toledo, Mazatlan, Monterey, Mexico. So I dive deeply into youth culture. So if you take those two things, social media, strategist, youth culture for the last 13 years, put those two things together, you land in the world of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, hopefully not in the world of MTV and such things like that, because that's just weird. Um, but I live, my world is a hashtag right now. Um, If you don't know what that means, then we'll get there. But the reality is that emerging generations are drawn to community. And any way that they can connect on a communal level, they're going to. They love it. It's fun for them, especially if they're introverted. Introverts, because of technology, get to be extroverted in ways they never could before. They were never going to be the conversation at the lunch table. They were never going to be the center of conversation in the classroom. They could be the smartest kid in school, but they weren't raising their hand because they're quiet. Because they can sit behind their screen and they can type whatever and they can find the safety and they can be thoughtful ahead of time. They can think as much as they want before they post something. They can research it. They can be antagonistic. They can actually create an alias for themselves. They can be as socially interactive as they've ever wanted to be internally. And extroverts can just sit back and judge people um, because that's what they want to do in social media. Extroverts shut up and introverts start talking in the world of social media in emerging generations because it's safe for them. So it's a great place for conversation. It's a great place to dial into things that they're not willing to share in face-to-face conversations. But it can be extremely dangerous in a world that is still built on The big idea of capitalism, the idea that whoever makes the most wins, whoever can sell the most is doing great. And so we live in a world that where we both long for emerging generations to be communal and we have a system that says, take, take, take what you can. And so they're looking at emerging generations saying, here's what we'll take. We'll take your community and we'll tell you how to interact with each other. And if we tell you how to interact with each other, then you will interact based on our rules. And by the time you're 21, we'll own you. There's an intentionality about it. And I know this from the social media strategy part. 
There are rules for me with Facebook as a social media strategist. I must abide by Facebook's rules or Facebook won't put my posts out for back-to-back ministries. If I don't do what they say, even the people who say that they like back-to-back won't see it. So I have to follow the rules. And the rules are turning, and it's all money again. They're saying, the more you pay us, the more we'll show your post. You want to talk about orphans? Pay us 100 bucks. We'll share your orphan cause to hundreds of thousands of people. If you don't want to, then you're going to figure out another way to do it. If you want to put images out there, here's what your images have to say. They dictate it back and forth. So what does a family do in that environment when you have a culture who's going to tell you what your kids are going to like and not like, and your kids are going to tell you what they like and don't like, and you're not sure which one's true in, in between? What I want to do in the first part of this session, just a few minutes, or give you a few principles around interacting with technology. They're not the here's how to set up an account type of things. They're not the privacy settings types of things. They're the overarching principles that your family should be living in within the context of technology before you start to build the boundaries around you. Um, Before we get there, though, a little bit about me. On Twitter, because that's my objective here, was to get more followers. I'm at ChrisCox121. I give you that because you're either a high school student, ninth through you know, older, um, or you're a parent. And if you follow at ChrisCox121, you're not following the ins and outs of my personal life very much, as much as you're following ways in which to engage in youth culture, both as a student and as an adult. So I view um, my public platform as a way for us to create conversation about emerging generations. So you would use that. That's a resource for you. Um, But then I put a few hashtags. A hashtag is a point of community within a social media network. So it's not an entity in and of itself. It's just a topic of conversation that people can then funnel themselves to. In real life, it would be it's the cheers of the Internet. So if cheers is the place where everybody knows your name and you connect, whatever your hashtag is, that's where you're known. So if you're on the first one, hashtag BBN, does anybody in here know what hashtag BBN is? I hope anybody raise your hand. Anybody know that? What what you got? What is that? Big Blue Nation, that's right, because we're playing tomorrow night. Um, and that's we. Well, I'm part of that. See, that's my cheers right there. That is the University of Kentucky Wildcats. Um, we, we're somehow, by the grace of God, this team is in the finals. And we're, so Big Blue Nation, if you are a Kentucky Wildcats fan, anything that you put in social media over the past week, you just add that hashtag, and everybody else who's in Big Blue Nation sees what you just posted. Or anyone who is an antagonist of Big Blue Nation, so like Indiana fans, who rush the court during regular season games, they, they click on Big Blue Nation and then they say something like, yeah, it's something from like 1985. And so we get to talk this week. Next week, everyone will be talking about us, about how we're going to get sanctions, and, all, and then there'll be like hashtag sanctions um, because of who our coach is. The second one is hashtag thank you notes. Does anybody, anybody connect with that one? Anybody know hashtag thank you notes? Who's that? Jimmy Fallon, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, the single reason David Letterman will be retiring in 2015. Um, because Jimmy Fallon has revolutionized late night and he brought back emerging generations. His hashtag thank you notes are his Friday night thing and they trend on Twitter in social media. As soon as they are out, they show them on social media. And you don't have to watch the show. You can watch thank you notes whenever you want because all you do is click the hashtag and I'm a big fan of those things. Hashtag 100, 163Ms, you might know what that is. 
163 million orphans in the world. That's a hashtag the back-to-back ministry uses with almost every post that they would make in social media. So if you're going to talk about a mission trip or partnering with back-to-back ministries, a lot of people will put hashtag 163M and you'll be able to find statistics, photos, all kinds of things in a social media world just simply because of those characters. Um, Hashtag family on mission. I'm not sure. Is anybody familiar with that, that terminology? That would be, I would be impressed if you were. Um, that is a ministry that I would say I would encourage you to write down. It's called WeAre3DM.com, and it's the words We Are W E A R E, the number three DM.com. 3D, we are3dm.com is taking a biblical approach to family life, saying we believe that a family and an extended family on mission is the way that the New Testament was modeled in the church. So you can hashtag family on mission if you're on a social network and you will get quotes about how to live a life fully breathing the word of God in your family environment. And there are a group of men and women who are channeling ways in which for your family and the families that are in your neighborhood to be able to deepen their walk. And that's it. So that's a big hashtag for me. And then this one, the last one is called hashtag live your story, which is simply for you tonight. If you are on social media, if you're on Twitter and you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, if you have anything, any quotes that you want to make us feel good about ourselves with and just put them out there in the world because it makes every speaker feel good. We're like, oh, somebody tweeted me. Um, Then you can, if you understand this language yet, if I'm speaking Spanish, we'll translate it later. You can put hashtag live your story and that question, if I click on it um, after I'm finished, then your question, we can answer that later tonight. Just simply by you using Twitter to ask a question. It networks us all together. So that's weird, right? It's interesting. And it's, it can sound another language to us, but that's how connected people are. The question that we often ask is, how do you even know which hashtags to go with and how to deepen your connectivity to different people? And those are the lines that I would say as parents, let your students be the teachers. We won't walk you through. Here's how to understand a hashtag. This is where you connect with emerging generations by coming in and saying, hey, I am an Ohio State football fan. What should I look at on here to find all the information? And they will teach you all about hashtags. And you can hashtag buck nuts or whatever else because that's the, I think the Ohio State football thing is is (laughs) buck nuts. That's what it's called um, because it's Buckeyes. And so, and, and you can, you'll find out all about Ohio State stuff. But that's where emerging generations can be great is that they can teach you about what's trending and what things are happening in a social media world, there's the conversation that's happening. That's the objective for us, is to get into the conversation in such a way that we have our fingers on the pulse of what our emerging generations are doing. Because they're already there. Your children and their friends are engaging in this conversation. And if it's foreign to you, we want to help be able to make it understandable because they're already there. There are over 10 million, 5 million, 5 million Facebook users are under the age of 10 years. I flipped my 10 and my 5. 5 million Facebook users are under the age of 10 years old. And it's in their name and it's their account. So that's a lot. There are close to a billion. There were over a billion. It might have slipped back a little bit. um, But there are close to a billion users active on just Facebook alone right now. So imagine this. There are one billion people having conversations for five million of our 10-year-olds to see, to decide who they want to be, to decide what they want to emulate, 
and to be defined by if they want to. A billion people influencing five million. Because we know a lot of the billion are adults. They've decided who they're going to be. They've decided what, what matters to them. They've decided what they're comfortable with. But we know adolescence and the years leading into adolescence are a time to, defy, to decide who am I going to be while I test out on who everybody else is. And the interesting aspect of the social media world and the technology world is they're figuring out who they want to be in front of us. And we're taking notes. And we're judging them by it. And we're defining them by it. I had a guy recently who lost a job in youth ministry. He was supposed to uh, do his last interview for a youth ministry position. Lost the job because the elders at the church found a MySpace, MySpace is what I'm saying here, MySpace, that I, I think it's still out there somewhere. It's out there. They found, yeah, they tried to renew it and they say, you know, the, yeah, the people whose phones like connect and hit each other, they're into it. Um, and, um, uh, and so it's out there again, but he had made an original MySpace post five years ago and he used some strong cuss words in the, in the post. The church found it, and they went with another guy because they, they saw what he had written in his post. They called him and said, we're going to go with another guy. Thanks for interviewing. You had a great interview, but, uh, but we're going to go somewhere else. And he said, you know, I, I really, I understand. I appreciate it, but can you help me? Because I would like to know why you're going another direction. And they said, well, we read your MySpace. And he said, my what? <laughs> they said, your MySpace. He was like, I didn't even know I still had that. They said, well, we just typed in your name and we found it. And we found this post that was pretty layered with some cuss words. He said, well, from what year? They said, five years ago. He said, I didn't confess Jesus until four years ago. They said, well, we're glad that you confessed Jesus after that, but we're still going to stick with our decision because this other guy didn't have that. So it just one-upped him once that you were even. He went one step forward. We're not judging you by it, but they were. But what they're saying is it just didn't push you forward. We didn't grow up with that. If you can remember, 16 years old, if you can remember that, do you want the whole world watching everything that you did then? It's different. We don't necessarily understand what they're going through, and we don't fully understand the consequences of what, are, what is going to be happening. So I think there are a few principles that we could put in place as families in order to embrace the pros and cons of technology. Here's the first one. The first one is core values define community. That's not just a technology principle. That's just a life principle. Your core values define your community. You could take this a little bit closer and say, core values define my family. If your family has a good work ethic, guess what? They got that work ethic probably from you and your husband or wife. And that work ethic was part of a core value, whether spoken or unspoken. It was a value that you wrote into your family and they're carrying it on. And you're proud of them. You're saying, wow, you you work really hard. You got that from this. If your family are soccer players or they're basketball players or they're mathematicians or they love playing, you know, Call of Duty till four o'clock in the morning. Let's see what's the core value at your house. Uh, media and technology is the same thing. Could you look at your husband and wife right now, or wife right now, and say, our core value about technology at our house is, and could you finish the sentence because you know it? If it's assumed, it's probably not being implemented as well as you want to, and it's probably confusing to your children. So 
the first principle of technology is that a core value defines your community. And if you don't have core values around technology at your home, or if your core values in your home are not consistent, then your community is going to be inconsistent. Inconsistent core values in families builds rebellion. It's why our kids push back. Because we can tell them, don't do what I do, do what I say. And they're going to push back and say, well, I'm going to test and see if what you do or what you say is actually better for me. But if we say and do this as a family, then we can be consistent and there's no surprises. They don't have to rebel. So number one principle that we can implement is that our core values define our community. Here's an example of one for, for, for technology in my family. Um, I have a little bit of a public persona. I'm not a big celebrity or anything, but I will share the gospel from Michigan to Monterey, Mexico in a 12-month period, and a few thousand high school students will engage in whatever we're, we're conversing about. Some of them I know, a bunch of them that I don't, and then their parents are engaging as well. Well, if our technology core value was um, that we just share everything equally, then the world can prey upon my wife and daughters. So we have, a, we have a couple of core values when it comes to me in, in any technology. I never communicate about my activities in real time. Sarah can because she's home. I can't because if I'm in Mexico and I'm saying this retreat in Mexico is amazing, then anyone who wants to follow me, which is open, can know Chris Cox is not at his house. He's in Mexico. I can go take what I want. And I put my wife and my children in a very dangerous position by doing that. And so because we have that core value, that core value is for our community, and I have to communicate it publicly. Because there are other people that work in back-to-back who don't even know that core value. And recently I was in Monterey, and as soon as I landed in Monterey, I get um, online to check the social media part of the job when I, when I get there. And as I get online, I see that someone else on staff said, Chris Cox 121, so excited for what you're doing in Mexico this weekend. And he tags my name in it, tags where I'm at, and immediately I'm sending something back to the home office going, will you delete that post? And he's going, why would I delete the post? I'm like, because you just put my wife and my daughters in danger. And his response, because he's 57 years old, was, will you tell your wife she could call me at any moment? And my response was, sure, I'll tell her to tell the perpetrator that. Can you hold on for a minute? There's this old guy that told me I could call him if you came here and tried to steal all of our stuff. So could you wait while he drives from Mason to here um, before you rob us? And he's just like, oh, yeah, I get it. Because he didn't have that family environment and he hadn't grown up in, in that thing. So one of our principles is no life communication. The second one is that I don't share family events. Sarah's settings are all private. Um, if she's let people see them, it's because every name that comes in, she says, and most of the time she's saying it to me, do I know them? Because they could be students from an event or different places. And I'm going, no, we don't know them. Don't let them see our kids. Don't let them potentially prey upon our eight-year-old daughter. Um, but she protects everything, so I don't share, so that that way our core value is to our daughters, we're not just going to showcase you off to the world. So we have a couple of core values. We also have, have core values about no media days at our house. Our daughters know that on Tuesdays and Thursdays not to ask if they can play the iPad or they can play Disney Infinity or they can watch something. They do it anyway because they're eight and four. But... On Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's no media days. So when I wake up in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 
Thursday's my day off. I like to wake up. I want to hear a little Dan Patrick. I want to hear a little Mike and Mike in the morning. And I'm walking into the kitchen going, it's not a media day. Why did you make that rule? And so I walk into the other room and Sarah's going, why aren't you listening? I'm like, I can't listen to my sports radio on my iPhone. She's like, why not? I'm like, because that's a bad example. If it's no media days for my kids, then I need to show them there's another way to engage as a family without media on those days too. So we, those are examples of core values in the community. You could ask my daughters. It's Tuesday. And they'll go, it's not a media day, is it? Like, they'll say it with remorse and mourning and tears in their eyes. It's not a media day, is it? Um, and I will say no. And then they will say, well, then why are you checking your Facebook? And I will say, because I'm a social media strategist for back to back and I get paid to do this. Um, I'm just kidding. But they, they'll know it and they'll be able to say it next. And this is, I think, the one that we highlight, the one that we put a circle around. Everything's a tool or a trap. I can use everything as a tool or a trap, especially in technology. It can trap my family and it can bind it, or it can be a tool for me to share our core values in community with other communities who have core values as well. But I have to decide as a family, before it matters what rules are on my computer and my kids' um, you know, tablets or whatever they're using or their leap pads or whatever we've got, what we have to decide together, how's this a tool for us? How are we going to use this? How's it not a trap? quick example. Facebook became a trap for Sarah recently. She was using another form of media, Instagram, posting pictures. She likes to document our daughters on there. She puts hashtag Sunnygram, hashtag Brinkleygram next to each post that she puts on so that later, if these two things still exist, she can click on just that word and she can see, and she just did it this week, she can see every picture that she's ever posted of Sunny and go from like birth to eight and see them all and go through this like photo montage and cry on her birthday, which is what she ended up doing. It was really, I don't know if it was a tool or a trap that day. Um, because Sarah's just crying. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, look at all the pictures of my little girl. And that's great. She does that for both of our daughters. Well, some 22-year-old nanny who didn't have kids, but nannied some other kids, decided right after Sarah posted a picture of Brinkley that then went on to Facebook that right after that, she would post, I would hate to be that mom in 10 years when her daughters realize that she loved one more than the other and that she was always posting pictures about one kid and not the other kid and the trauma that that is going to do to her other daughter's life. It's completely general, completely like anonymous, except that they were within five seconds. It was like Sarah's and then it was this other one. And then immediately my phone goes off because I have a group of community of guys that kind of protect my family. And one of these guys texts me and says, is Sarah okay? And I'm like, you just saw Facebook, didn't you? And he's like, yeah, I saw Facebook. And he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to go punch her in the face. I mean, I'm going to pray for her. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to go check and see if Sarah's okay. Sarah saw it. And that night she said, am I a good mom? That was her question. And I said, why are you asking me this question? And she's like, well, I just want to know, what do you think? Am I a good mom? I'm like, are you asking as your husband who loves you and protects you, are you a good mom? Or are you asking because you're believing a lie that you read today on some piece of trash media site that lets people put whatever they want on there? And she's like, oh, you saw it? <laughs> of course I saw it. And she's like, well, tell me how it's not true. She needed to hear truth. 
And we walked through. I'm like, okay, so Brinkley was three. When Sunny was three, do we have like do we have the same amount? Of, oh, yeah, we have the same amount of pictures of three-year-olds. Sunny's seven right now. She never wants to get her picture taken. She's just playing. Brinkley will pose for anything. She's like, I knew that was true. But the trap of somebody else and the fact that we read it, and I know some of you are going, I've been there, I've done that, I've read that. Oof, man, judgmental people on these things. Tool or trap? And what are your boundaries? She said that the other day to me about a post, and I'm like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use Facebook to tell my mom and your mom how amazing their grandkids are and don't read anything else ever. <laughs> and she's like, okay. Because it was being a trap for us, for our family. So we have to decide that, and we have to decide that for your children. How are these technological tools really tools for your family, or are they traps? Last three I'll go through really quickly to get Kim here. Nothing is private, no matter what they tell you. You can change your privacy settings. High schoolers, we can change our privacy settings. And that tells people what we want to see in the middle and what we want our search content to look like. But nothing that you look at Post, click on, dwell on, send to, share, like, favorite, all of that stuff is never private. It's always public. And everyone who is trying to earn your allegiance is filtering everything that you are pausing on, looking at, seeing, sharing, all of those things. And they're telling you back who you are and and what is of value to you. My family does Disney vacations. I book my Disney vacations on private sites. I visit blogs. I was on ESPN, and there were um, advertisements for Disney World resorts on the side. And I'm looking at that going, oh, you know me, don't you? You think you know me, but I take money from Disney. Get out of my way. Um, and, but, they're, but they're right there. I bought a pair of shoes from PacSun. Now I got PacSun advertisements everywhere. They're just all over the place. I'm like, I bought one pair of shoes from you two years ago, and now you're everywhere because nothing is private. So no matter what, it's not private. It's out there, and someone has saved it. And now they have scanners, and they're going back to high school, and they're putting your stuff on there. So get ready. Whatever you did in junior high is going to be on Facebook soon because people are they're getting bored, and they're starting to scan old pictures, and they're tagging your faces in them. Teaching responsibility is better than blocking software. Blocking software is a reaction to something that's already happening. Teaching responsibility is proactively pursuing things that we can't see yet. You see the difference in that, in that principle? If I teach responsibility to my children, then they know if this happens, I take it to daddy. Because it's above my pay grade. I don't understand how to do this. If I say it's blocking software, then I come home and Sarah says, you know what? There was something questionable on this thing. You need to update the software so that it keeps that away from our kids. Well, that means that my kids have to be protected. We always have to have blocking software that's ahead of the things that are out there. And that's not how it works. They're pushing things and testing things on us. Blocking is a reaction. Teaching responsibility is proactive. And so as families, we have to teach responsibility. That trumps us having some software because the software becomes an excuse and it will get used at your house by teenage boys all the time. Well, the software didn't block it. 
You looked at it. Bottom line, you looked at it. That's why it's there. So the software can't stop you from being human and being sinful and having spiritual warfare. It's a response for a system, but response, teaching responsibility is always greater. And then number five, actions speak louder than tweets. How I live my life speaks a lot louder than any of the people that your kids are following. How you live your life speaks a lot louder than the way that any of your children are following. If you want them to follow great examples, be a great example. They are not looking to follow celebrities more than they want to follow you. They're just trying to figure out who they want to be. And they're trying to figure out if you're the best way to be that person. And so be transparent. Be authentic. Be open. And be godly. Because if you act as someone who is living in the grace of Jesus moving forward every day, that's who they're going to want to learn from. You don't have to fear who they're following when you're following Jesus and leading your family. You do have to fear who they're following if you're not leading. If tweets are more powerful than our actions. If the words that are coming out are more powerful. But our actions are actually stronger than anything that's going on in social media. And everything that's going on in technology is a generation seeking to find out who they are. And there's still one thing that trumps everything else. Life-to-life discipleship trumps anything that's out there in technology and in the world. And so actions always speak louder than tweets. Those are principles that you can write. We're going to talk about a little bit of a Facebook group at the end. So if you didn't even get a chance to write that stuff down or didn't want to, that graphic will be in that Facebook group and you'll be able to just see it and grab that content later. That is a 100,000 foot view of technology. Kim's going to come up and she's going to share about 50,000 feet, right? So there's this thing called a fire hydrant. The nozzle's about to come off. (laughs) It's coming your way right now. But here's here's what I'll give you. All of this stuff that she's going to share, there's going to be notes. There's going to be content. There's going to be follow-up for you because you could go, wow, that was a lot. And then there's going to be hands-on training at the end of this. So for the 50,000-foot view, here's Kim Rupert. (laughs) Thank you. Cool. Well, I am coming at uh, this technology discussion from another side of it, which is from the side of education. So um, my master's degree is in educational administration. I've spent the last 20 years in, in education and in technology, and then educating the people who educate the kids about technology. So that's kind of what I do um, consulting on the side. Also, I'm the operations administrator here at Grace Chapel, so I've gotten to get really deep into the nuts and bolts of what's actually going on here with our kids in Mason, Ohio. And I think this night when it came up, Deb talked to me about it. And I'm like, oh, it's been on my heart too. This is definitely something that, that is going to be a great opportunity for us as we go forward and grow in this together. So um, talking, I, I'm also the parent of a, a teenager and, a, and an almost teenager who thinks she's a teenager. So I kind of have a lot of, um, a lot of different angles that I see this from. Um, So one of the things I want to make super clear from the beginning, 50,000-foot view, water hose style, is that my goal is certainly not to finish this like a few minutes from now and you feel like, man, I got got technology. I figured it out, you know, because technology is 
it's like water. You know, it's just, it's ever evolving. It's running. It bends. It makes a new path. Something gets in its way, carves out a new trough. You know, it's, it's just constant. And it, we will never be able to say that, oh, we can put something in a package and sell it to you. Because that's, that's not even, that's not possible. So it's teaching responsibility, learning responsibility. That is the goal. Starting a conversation with your kids, with your grandkids, with your neighbors and your families. That, that is important. And um, teaching them how to filter. You know, how, how are we going to design our filter in our family to protect ourselves, our kids, you know, and, and our spiritual lives, um, which is where this live your story uh, statement comes from, because this is really just about what kind of message do you want to portray? So then in every area of our life, at the grocery store, on Facebook, on Twitter, at school, at church, everywhere we are, are we actually living the story that, that we want people to be reading? And is it a story of redemption and a story that points people to follow Christ? Or is it something else? We're pretending to be in this area, and then we're somebody else over here, and we're somebody else over here. So um, talking about technology, it's not technology that's the problem. It's our misuse of it. And I would also go so far as to say it's our lack of willingness to engage in it. And um, as a parent, I have a friend. She has, uh, she's a homeschool mom, which I admire her so much. She has five kids. She is phenomenal. I mean, she can do 50 things at once and then still be, like, smiling and her hair's in a ponytail. And she's, you know, likes, looks like energy. Um, but she and I had this conversation one day, and she said, now, I have a different approach to parenting than you do. Because we were talking about technology. And I said, oh, okay, you know, well, what, what is that? And she said, my goal is to protect my children from the world. And your goal is to teach your children how to function in it. And I was like, well... Nobody's ever said it to me quite so clearly before, but yes, you're 100% correct. That's exactly the angle that we're trying to take. And I think I grew up in a very conservative home where my parents' goal was to kind of like, you know, put sort of safety walls around us in every way. Um, but as Chris mentioned, you know, then they'll just go for the crack in the wall. The, the outside influences will go over the wall. They'll dig a trench. You know, it's, you, you just can't put, you can't put walls there that can block everything out. And so our goal is that when our kids walk into an environment they haven't been in before, that we've taught them what the spiritual filter is inside of their heart to know, hey, is that the Holy Spirit telling me that this is not pleasing to God? Oh, yeah, I think it is. Okay, then no, this is not good. And be able to make a decision based on the content, based on what we've taught them, you know, in order to make the right decision. So um, and going on to the, uh, the next scene, I just have a quick video clip, um, uh, a book that your teenager may be interested in reading, you may be interested in reading about technology and the use of it or misuse of it. They found her body in the woods just a few miles from our house. I tried convincing myself it wasn't her, but at any moment she'd walk right through my front door. But I know that's not going to happen. Ella's never coming home again. Because a monster stalked her, stole her innocence, and murdered her. Ella was constantly on the social networking site Grapevine. She gave information every day, every hour, on what she was doing and where she was going. Little did I know, she was providing her killer with everything he needed to hunt her down. It's too late for my sister, but I won't let... So this goes on to describe a book. It's called Predator, which is a Christian, written by a Christian author. The social media situation the gal got into by just tweeting and 
hashtagging everything and putting everything on Facebook and just constantly got used to living her life in that way, not processing through the fact that because her profile was public in each of these sites, that anybody who wanted to could be viewing and reading what she wrote. And so um, it provides a perfect roadmap to, oh, she's over here at 3 o'clock. She's at cheerleading at 4 o'clock. She's, uh, you know, I saw a uh, public service announcement for a, uh, from the state of Oregon of a gal who's in her bedroom and her cell phone is ringing and she answers it and doesn't know who's on the other end. You know, cue the eerie music and she's freaked out and she puts it down. Her parents are not home. The end of the day, what actually ends up happening is that someone is in her home because he knew exactly where she lived. And when he, she answered the phone, I said, please stop calling. I'm going to call the police. You know, I don't know you. Oh, you know me. We're friends. We're friends. And she's like, no, we're not. And he says, yes, we're friends. I'll tell you how I know we're friends. Your favorite movie is. Your favorite books are. You're in the cheerleading squad. You're the captain. You da 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 He goes on to list everything about her life that I know about my kid's life. And you know about your grandkid's life. But she shared all of those things on her profile uh, on Facebook, including her address and her cell phone number, which Facebook encourages you to do when you sign up for an account. So these are the kind of discussions we want to have talking about safety that you can take the time to sit down with your kids and go through those accounts. Let's look at your privacy settings. And that's kind of the thing we'll be able to do afterwards here tonight. If you'd like, it's also something you can go later to the Facebook page or you know, send a message on Twitter and say, I'm looking to you know, try to get more information because I want to make sure my child is safe and she's using this website or that website. Um, so if we go to the next slide on suggestions for technology, family technology rules, we have social media contracts that we're going to give you at the end of the night tonight, once for families, once for teenagers, and you can decide based on your kids' ages which one you think they fit best into, but I would encourage each family to have every student in their family, every child in their household that's using any technology to sign one, and we're going to have a signing next on, on Palm Sunday, on Sunday morning, invite families and their kids to come up to the front. All at once, we're going to pray together, ask God to help us to honor the commitment, and then we're going to sign those contracts in the sanctuary here in front of each other. Because one thing as a Christian community that we want to encourage is helping to look out for each other's kids and each other's families with this whole media thing. I mean, I, I want you all to tell me if you see my kids posting anything on Facebook that's dangerous, that's inappropriate. If you see them on Instagram posting something, if you, it, I want to know. I, I, it's not a secret. I don't care if my kid gets mad at you. I want you to help me. I want you, in every way, actually, raising my kids. If you see my kid at McDonald's doing something that's not pleasing to God, I want you to come and tell me. But that's part of being in a community of Christ followers. We're going to help each other do this job of, of raising and protecting our kids. Um, so some suggestions your family may want to consider. Taking away electronics at the table or during family pre-agreed upon times, like Chris was mentioning, this is our time for dinner, this is our time for whatever. These are times we all agree if the phone rings, we're not answering it. You know, we're not having devices out at the table or whatever that may be. And again, we don't pretend to be giving you like, this is what you should do for your family because we don't know what is right for your family. But we're going to give you these suggestions and ask you to pray and say, Lord, what's right for our family and then commit to it as a whole family. Um, no Internet access during times and areas in the house without supervision or oversight. One suggestion is to not have Internet access in bedrooms. You know, if, it's, if your child is of a younger age, and even actually older, or not using the Internet with the door closed. Or you may want to just kind of think about what would be good ways for us to help to understand what's going on when our child is accessing content on the Internet. Um, have open, honest discussions with your child about online safety and responsibility. Put in place the rules for media and sign a contract like we talked about. When your child sets up an account, use gender-neutral names. 
um, to protect the name, age, um, and sex of your child. When you like, if you decide, okay, my my child can have an Instagram account. When you set it up, the handle that you pick for them, the name that they pick, you could use a name that doesn't give away their age or their specific name or or their sex. Um, teach your kids that people online are maybe not who they say they are, and in a, many cases are not who they say they are. Many people use online access as an opportunity to become who they wish they were or who they'd like to be or who they pretend to be, um, including pedophiles. So um, invest in Internet filtering software that allows you to know what your kids are doing online. We'll talk more about that later. Never lie about your child's age to set up an online account for them. And this is kind of a big deal. As Chris mentioned, the number of kids who have an account that are under the age of 10 on Facebook Clear to the under the age of 13. The rules for Facebook are at 13. This is when uh, Facebook agrees to give you an account. If you sign up any social media account for your child and put an age in there that's not their actual age, you should know then that you broke the agreement with the service provider, be it Instagram, Facebook, whatever. They can market to your child based on the age that you said your child was. So if your child is 10, you're signing up for Facebook. That means you had to lie and tell them that they were 13 or 14 years old. Three or four years from now, they're going to be marketing to an 18-year-old. They're not going to be marketing to your child who is by then turning 14 or 15. So you want to keep that in mind. Um, and besides also what Chris talked about, setting a good example for your kids because they're watching, you know, how you're behaving online and the choices you're making online. And so lying about an age to get an account would, would be something that would be sending a different message than what you want. Um, set a good example by, you know, displaying for your kids what kind of material it is appropriate to use on the Internet. We don't use material on the Internet that we also would say to our kids, you know, or, oh, here the kids are coming, you know, turn it off. I mean, obviously there's things like tonight where there may be content that you really aren't going to talk about with kids who are too young or that kind of thing, but especially where it comes to teenagers, you want to make sure that you model what is appropriate for use of online material. Um, make sure that if your children change passwords, that they know that that is something that earns a consequence in your family. Your kids need to give you every username and password for every account that they sign up, um, for which they sign up. And the reason for that is because then you have the ability to access and see what kind of messages are going in, what you know, what comes in, uh, who's contacting them, what kind of what kind of activity they're doing online. And um, this, is, this is kind of a big one because a lot of parents feel that, well, that, you know, I'm, she's this old and I give her some privacy and yada, yada, yada. As far as the Internet's concerned, I, there shouldn't really be any privacy with your children. There just shouldn't be. You've got, to, you've got to be constantly in a state of awareness. It's just one more. What, we used to be able to send our kids to their room and know that was the safe place. You know, we can shut the door. They're safe in there. But now in, our, in their room, if they have access to the Internet via a phone or a tablet or a laptop or whatever it is, the world can access them in their bedroom. I mean, so we have to constantly be thinking about that. Place limits on the times, locations, and types of media you allow each day. Discuss your family plan for Internet access um, when they go other places. So when my daughter visits somebody else's house and they're having a sleepover, we have rules about how social media is allowed to be used when they're in someone else's home. Um, along those same lines, we're big in our house about protecting your family. So our kids know that the content that you post needs to, needs to put um, 
needs to guard the privacy of our family. So we have an adoption in our home, and it's a closed adoption, so our kids know that that's, there's content related to that that they can't post on their social media stuff. Of course, they're not allowed to have, mine are not yet on Facebook or sites where they're allowed to directly be engaging with strangers, but um, that's just a rule that we already have. Don't take a picture of your sister that she feels makes her look awful and then go out and post it on your Instagram. Those are just things that we just don't do because it's not part of protecting your family. You're laughing because you've seen my kids fighting to try to get away with that, aren't you? <laughs> okay, um, what God says about what we see is, is something that your family should be talking about. It should be part of the conversation. But one of my favorite things, of course, in Philippians 4, summing it up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise and not things to curse. Social media can be used in all of those positive ways, as he's talking about bringing life to orphans and getting support for the causes that we're fighting so hard for. So it can be used wonderfully, but it can also be you know, very damaging, and it can be um, very hard on the self-image and development of our kids self-image-wise, the way that they view their bodies and the way that other people view their bodies. Um, yeah. The concept of the selfie. I was telling my husband, I read that the American Medical Association has recently diagnosed an illness related to how many selfies a person posts. For those of you who don't know what a selfie is, it's when there's actually a definition I put in your handout. It describes holding the phone, turning it in reverse, taking a photo of oneself, trying to get the right angle, the right light, and post it on the Internet. The American Medical Association has defined an illness related to, a, a psychiatric illness related to how many of those images a person posted themselves each day, which I chuckled when I read it, but I realized that the problem that we have growing in this country and the rest of the world with our teenagers and the kids who come after, you know, they're looking who do I want to be? Who am I? Am I valuable? Am I worth it? You know, what, what, where do I fit in? And they post these pictures in hopes that people are going to post comments back that are, oh, you're so cute. I love that outfit. You always look so, your hair's so cute. You know, they're hoping to get those kind of comments. But every time I see one, there's also some comments in there that range from hideous to vulgar to hurtful. And, and the incidence of kids who are committing suicide based on Facebook, they actually have a, a psychiatric illness called Facebook depression. Um, which is diagnosed as related to what people post about and respond to a person, and then that leads into bullying. So as schools now, you, we used to worry about the kid who cornered kids in the bathroom and bullied them, but now we have this whole new thing that we have to consider, which is how kids are being bullied online in this secret quiet place that their parents may not even know about where people are commenting mean things or hurtful things, and then they sort of have that, you know, crowd mentality and sort of gang up on. And you've, I'm sure, all heard of the suicides and the, um, the horrible, tragic stories that come out of that, where this is going on, and the parent who doesn't have a Facebook account had no idea it was even happening. It couldn't even be a different voice, giving a different message, because they had no idea. Which leads to me as a parent encouraging you as a parent to sign up for an account. If you give your kids permission to be on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, sign yourself up for an account so that you can be aware of what content your child is posting and what people are saying to your child. And you can have a discussion with your kids. We suggest in your social media contract that your kids can't, you know, unfriend you or unfollow you or block you from their newsfeed. Um, and that way, because you can actually secretly block someone 
on Facebook or, you know, you can put in your settings that you don't want them to be able to see anything you post, even though they think they're your friend and they may wonder why you never post anything, but you can actually block them so that they can't see anything. So kids can do that with their parents. If you all take you as a friend, mom, and then mom is a friend, but wow, she never uses Instagram, but it turns out she does. You just have been blocked and you can't see anything she's posting. So it's an important conversation to have with your kids. On the next slide on filtering hardware and software, these are suggestions. Um, A lot of these are uh, supported by folks on the family, are endorsed by different governmental agencies. If you want to have some of those safety things in your home, for example, in the office we were talking about how pornography um, has just grown and grown and grown as a problem for men with the onset of the Internet because obviously the images are so just out there and easy to get a hold of. But also, um, there's no way to, once you see an image like that, you know, it, it actually causes a physical thing to happen in your brain, you know, that where that image, it almost burns a mark inside of your brain cells. And so we want to make sure that we keep some, there are some things that just are not going to enter our home, and we're going to, we can use tools to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so using a router, you can go and purchase a router for your home if you have Wi-Fi in your house. You can purchase a router. The newer ones all have parental controls, so you can set up what degree of content you want to be able to come into your home so that certain words or certain images will always be tagged. Of course, as Chris said, it's not a fail-safe. It's not like it's never going to get through or some weird search isn't going to pop something up because somebody's always trying to get a message to you, but that will allow you to at least set some limits on, you know, I don't want content above this, you know, rating to come into our home. I don't want images, anything with this tag you know, nudity or profanity, you can set these levels, tries to catch some of it. You can also control the number of hours in a day that your kids can have access to the Internet. So my daughter is on her device, and at 9 p.m., the iPods uh, turn off. If they're on our family Wi-Fi at home, they can't get to the Internet anymore. Didn't actually tell them, let it accidentally happen one night. <laughs> What's wrong with my device? Oh, no. Turns out she was doing homework, and we couldn't then print to the printer in the house, so we had to, you know, mom, that was brilliant. But, but the, the idea behind the thing is setting the hours that your kids can access the Internet. This is a tool that can help you kind of control that better. So no one is in their bedroom in the middle of the night up looking at things on the Internet that, you know, obviously we don't want happening, or no one's emailing or texting people that we don't want that happening either. Um, Microsoft Family Safety, if you have a Windows machine, especially starting with Windows 8, they have built-in Microsoft Family Safety, so you can set up, when you set up the computer, the parent profile is set up first, then the kids' profiles can be set up, and basically every seven days, my daughter has a Windows 8 laptop, every seven days I get an email report sent to me of every website she's been to, how many minutes she spent on those websites, what search words she typed in search engines, So that comes in a weekly report, just another way of helping me be aware of what's going on in our house. Naturally, that's only happening in our home because it's only when you're on, um, actually, with that device, it's happening anywhere. With the router, it's only controlling what's happening in our home. But when Microsoft Family Safety, even when she takes it to school, it's still going to send me back the report. I put three or four different packages you can buy. Uh, Canine Web Protection is a free one. Um, Surf Balance app is based on different, um, how many number of devices you have. Covenant Eyes is also based on number of devices and Safe Eyes, Net Nanny. All of those things are recommended by various Christian places and different sources. Those are things you can purchase based on what you feel like your family's, you know, use of, of media is. In our case, we probably have 16 things in our house that are accessing the Internet. 
between phones and iPods and iPads and computers and laptops. I mean, everybody's doing homework and this and that. So for me, it's not practical for us to buy something that only puts, you know, on three devices. <laughs> so you have to kind of search out what's best for your family based on use. Um, the next screen I do want to spend a minute on, if you're a parent of a teenager, and actually if you're a teenager, I'd love for you to hear this as well. These are apps that are not recommended for kids, and this is not recommended by many, many sources. So this is not just one person's opinion on here. Um, and I, these are the whys. So if you want to sit down and have a conversation with your kids about this list, you know, we're, I'm not saying to you, here's the list. This is what your family should do. What I'm saying to you is use this information to have a conversation with your kids and say, are you using any of these apps on here? Let me see your device. Let's talk about it. So these are, the, and here's here's why. So uh, Kick, the Messenger app, it does not require people to verify their identity in almost no way. Um, it started out being a nice little texting app that kids were all interested in, especially starting at junior high. Now they were like a big thing. Like, I got to get a kick. Everybody's got a kick. Um, but it has grown very rapidly in a few months to being a place that's a very much a favorite of pedophiles. Um, and they actually, because of the action they were seeing on the app, changed the rating on it to 17. So if you have an account and you're under 17, you should know that they're going to be able to market to you like you're 17. Um, Snapchat, Blink, Secret Messaging, again, there are 50 apps that are the same. So, I, you know, I, you can't review everything in the app store. It's growing at such an unbelievable rate every day. You could never know all of them, but they act the same way. So all of those three up there, they allow you to send pictures of yourself that self-destruct in a few seconds, also becoming a favorite of pedophiles, and also becoming very commonly known in the schools as being used for bullying. And the reason is you can send very hurtful things, very embarrassing things, and they, in theory, go away, and you never see them again. And so, in theory, you may not get in trouble for what you posted or sent. Um, that's not the case because another round of developers said, hey, let's do Snap Hap, Snack Hacker, Snap Crackle, po Snap Pot, Spy, Snap Everything. All of those are designed to quickly capture the images that come to you on Snapchat, which were supposed to be self-destructing, so that a permanent copy of them can be saved forever and then posted to other social media sites. So once those images go out, you, you can't get them back. Nothing is ever private. Um, ask at them, again, started out as a good idea. I have a question. I'd like to put it somewhere. You can ask it, and then people can respond. It has become a problem because it is often being used for bullying and hurtful responses because there's no moderation. It's kind of like a blog that everybody can participate in, and you can say whatever you want, and, and no one will um, correct you or, you know, call that into question. I, the ratings that are on all of these are from the App Store, so they're... They're not based on anything other than this is what Apple agreed to call them for a rating. Um, Yik Yak, another anonymous posting app. The issue with Yik, uh, Yik Yak is that by default it uses your GPS on your device when you're posting. So it will note your location. It will find friends around you. And the issue, I'm sure if you just think for one second about the dangers of any app that uses the GPS locator in the phone, which is now most of them, when, um, when it's doing that, it knows where your kid is standing and what your kid is posting. So what content comes out of your child onto that post, I know where you are, I know what you're wearing, I know who you're standing there with, I know you're not at home, I know your house is empty. And then if you take on friends like our kids do, like, you know, I've got 700 Facebook friends, I've got 900 people following me on Instagram, they have no idea who half those people are. Or they met them once, or they're a friend of Sally's and Bob's, and then the friend is a friend, and... 
you know, the term friend has become something that we don't even know what it means anymore. So it's extremely dangerous for that GPS to be always pointing to where your kids are at. I did put a page in here about geotagging. The last couple of updates, Apple started putting that as a default. When you take a picture with your iPhone or your iPad, I know the Android still does it too. When you take a picture, it automatically imprints in the metadata of the image, which is the background programmer stuff, the time and the date and the location. So it basically stamps longitude and latitude right there in the background of the image. So anyone can go on the Internet, find a picture of your kid, download it, use some simple software, turn that picture around and see on the back where it was posted, exactly where that child was standing. So anything using a GPS, anytime you're, and you can turn these things off on your kids' devices, on the phones, on the pictures. You can go in and turn off that setting. Now, if you use, like, find my iPhone or find my device that Apple's put out, which is a really great feature if your kid's like mine and leaves her iPod at every restaurant we go to, um, you can use that to, you can use, you can leave that on, which requires your GPS, but turn off the settings on all of the device, uh, the camera, like the different apps. You can turn off those settings. Um, and there's a page in there about exactly how to do that in your handout when we can talk about it at the table afterwards if you brought an Apple device um, or, an, or an Android. Uh, Tinder, oh, let's see, the hot or not, that's a social picture sharing app that was started out with a voting idea of, yeah, you know, you're, you're a 10, you're a 9, you're an 8. Talk about a self-image builder. Um, kids putting their own pictures out there and waiting for people to painfully rate them on what they look like, which is, first of all, as a Christian, sending the complete wrong message as we're, you know, our kids are constantly being told to think about their outward appearance more than their inward appearance. Um, this app is, has become a huge problem because it also uses the GPS locator. Um, so you know exactly where the kid is standing that's posting the picture of herself in a bikini and asking how hot am I for strangers to comment and tear her up about what her body looks like or say inappropriate things about her body or, you, you know, you can use your imagination. Uh, the rating on that is 17. Uh, Tinder down, bang with friends. These are all the same app and usually the same developer even. Um, the App Store removed bang with friends recently because of the damage it was causing to minors. It uses your GPS in your phone, basically sends out a message saying, who would like to hook up? And if you need a definition of hook up, you can see our youth pastor afterwards. <laughs> But he will, uh, you know, use the device to send it out, and then it's like anybody that's using that app that's interested in hooking up, can they'll get a notification. This, there's a person standing, you know, two blocks away that would like to, you know. And so App Store said, oh, wait, this is a disaster because, you know, kids are using this app. This is becoming, a, the high schoolers using it more than anyone else. So they took it out of the App Store. A month later, allowed the same developer to come back with the same app with a different name. <laughs> it's doing the exact same thing. And your kids know that, you know, that the app was removed. But, oh, look, they've got a new one, you know. And I'm confident that that developer probably even marketed directly to the kids that, you know, the app was removed and now we've got a new app. Try this one. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. Again, GPS is the danger of that one. Um, Vine, short video clips are, are posted. Um, the, again, when it started, was a cute way to put little quick video segments on just like Instagram. Um, but the issue with that one is that it has become a frequent uh, favorite of uh, pornographers. So the rating on that one has been moved to 17 as well. Uh, Twitter social updates are sent in 140 character text messages. We heard about how awesome Twitter is and how well it can be used and what good it can do. But when you're talking about kids below the age of 13 and even kids in that same age range, we have to help them know what content is appropriate, 
who it's safe to follow, what information it's safe to see, those kinds of things. And again, spouting out where I'm standing and using the GPS to let it imprint. You know, I'm right over here. <laughs> it's, it's just dangerous for our kids to be doing that. Um, Nine Gag is a site that focuses on uploaded images with captions and text. You scroll on the site and you would see um, funny things, um, but it has become more sexually suggestive and crude as the app has um, been out on the market. Um, and the age for that is 12. Uh, Tumblr, a Tumblr account, and you're thinking, oh, great, it would encourage my kids to write. And when my daughter came home and she said, Mom, I want a Tumblr account, and I was thinking, well, I have one. You know, I like to write, and I'm thinking, How, what could be bad about this? And, and that, again, has the same problem. Nobody's reviewing what anybody's writing. No one's standing next to your kid when they're scrolling through the newsfeed, and Tumblr decides what things it would like to put up in your newsfeed and say, oh, you'd probably like to read this. Oh, you'd probably like to read that. And then, you know, content is what it is. It's just whatever anybody felt like putting out there, including pictures. And so that has also been uh, moved to a rating of 17 because of the nudity and the frequent sexual content that shows up in the newsfeed. So again, if your child has a Tumblr account, keep in mind that the developer believes that your child is at least 17 years old. So they have no problem with your children being exposed to those, that type of content. That's, so don't bother sending in a complaint because they, they're not going to do anything about that. Um, now I have another page called Apps to Use with Caution. These are kids that are uh, apps that our kids frequently use that are even a little bit like in the 11, 12, 13, 14 age range. These are really popular. Um, but again, these are things that you need to be careful of. Instagram is an easy way to share photos. It's a wonderful thing, but the privacy settings are critical. The pictures are by default geotagged with the exact location. And um, there's no way to filter the images that they see when they're in the newsfeed area, when they're just scrolling through whatever content uh, rolls up. Particularly if you sign your child up and they weren't legal age when you put it in there, the content can be even worse um, if, if, if Instagram believes your child to be older than they are. Um, InstaChat, same thing, uses the Instagram login. Pictures, private messages can be sent to anyone from anywhere that you've added as a follower. Someone can just sort of cold call, hi, you know, I like that picture I saw of you. I'd like to become, you know, friends, you know. So that's the danger right there is that if you haven't gone through and done privacy settings with your kids, even if you don't understand what they all mean, just opening the app and looking in the background at the privacy settings, going through and reading each thing carefully. If you go through Facebook, it can almost overwhelm you. If you go to privacy on the tab at the top and you look at how many specific little things you've got to click and check to make sure that your stuff isn't being broadcasted to the world, um, it's a little bit frightening, but it can be overwhelming. But the point is that you've got to make the effort. You've got to sit down and say, let's look at your privacy settings. And if you don't know, your child definitely understands what they're seeing. If they have the account, have them sit down next to you and let's just go through these things together um, with, with each of the major apps like this that they're using. Um, YouTube is something, obviously, our kids use it at school. The school is posting YouTube videos constantly about content and events that are happening at school and learning opportunities. But again, you can't control the content. So uh, kids have access to any videos, pornography, anything else. And then if your privacy settings aren't read through very, very much in detail, anybody can see what your kids are posting. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, the next slide is, you don't need to try to read it. It's microscopic, but it's in your handout. I just wanted to make reference to it. Kindle Fire is a popular device for this age range that we're talking about here tonight. Those are how to set up parental controls on the Kindle Fire, how to control what happens. Something else, somebody said, hey, please include information about 
so I can stop my kid from buying stuff when they're playing with their device because it's linked to my credit card. So down at the bottom is how you can control turning off in-app purchases when your kid's playing a game. And for 99 cents, they can go to that next level. So you can, you can lock that out so that it can't happen. Um, the next slide, um, it's the same setup for iPod, iPhone, and iPad, how you can use the restrictions. Apple's not done as good of a job of making that easy, but you can do it. And here's how you can do it. So you can sit down and go through your device. We can also go through it afterwards. Um, and we can also set up future time that we could get together if you want to bring devices and we could work through these things. Um, the next slide is just a, a review of what we talked about with geotagging, that the markers are marked in the back. And then those are kind of the screens that you go through to turn off geotagging on your kids' Instagram photos if you're using Instagram so that they cannot, um, no one can know where they're standing when they take their pictures. Um, knowing that we'd have a diverse group of folks here, some of you are going to find this to be hilarious that it's included, but as a teacher, this is something that just makes me bananas. So online etiquette is the next thing. I just wanted to throw out a couple of things. Uh, BTW stands for by the way. If you ever see someone typing entire sentence in all capital letters, that means they're shouting, okay, online. So it's not proper etiquette to type in all caps. Even in an email, there's some information, and you want to go understand some more about that. But you should know, if you're in the habit of leaving the caps lock on, that people think that you are a raging lunatic. Okay, the next one is reply all. When you send an email out to an entire group, like you got to email all the PTO people or all the soccer team, instead of putting their email addresses in the CC box or the two box, put those email addresses in that third line that nobody knows what it stands for, and that's BCC, which means blind carbon copy. That means no one knows who else you sent this email to. The benefit of that is that no one can then turn around and use all the email addresses to the soccer team to sell Tupperware which is exactly what happens when you start forwarding around emails with everybody's email addresses in it. Huge, huge pet peeve. Um, forwards, the, the famous, you know, take this quiz and see what country you should live in and take all of the nonsense, you know what I'm talking about, the emails that you get that are forwards. Scroll down to see all 47 images of this cat doing something cool and at the end there's a surprise. Or my personal favorite, which is if you don't forward this to 100 people in five minutes, something evil is going to happen to you. Those are called forwards, and they carry viruses in the background of the email. That's where most of them originate, is from people who realize that if they can get that email onto your machine and get you to click on anything in that email, then they can have access to your machine. So you want to make sure that you just don't participate in that. We just don't have enough time in a day to deal with that kind of nonsense. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. It's true. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, I sent you those files. Like, no, I've told you like a hundred times, I don't do forwards. I don't participate in that game. It just, it's too dangerous for my computer. I can't afford to get that one virus that shuts the whole thing down. Um, and then I have my personal line about selling Tupperware. It is bad etiquette to use an email address that's collected for any reason for a different reason, and that's a violation of that person's privacy, which isn't a joke. It's actually true. And if you're doing it in any kind of business setting or any kind of a organizational setting, you can really get into a lot of trouble. So when email addresses are sent to you or collected, like through the church, and we, you know, we don't allow anybody to send out to our church database invitations to participate in stuff or buy things or whatever, unless this is something the office is intentionally sending out, because that would be a violation of the privacy of our members. So you want to keep that in mind. The next slide is social media contracts. 
um, uh, they're not meant to be read up here. Again, I'm just referencing the screens, and we have them up here for you to look at and decide what's best for your family at the end. But we're going to recommend that you sign one or the other, the family version or the teens. Like my girls are 14 and almost 14 and 11, so they're going to do the family's contract. Um, but if you have an older student, uh, you know, from 14 to 18, you may want to consider doing the teen contract. Basically, it's on how engaged they are in social media, such as Facebook, um, where they're directly having conversations with strangers, that kind of thing is kind of the difference between the two. These are suggested conduct and um, things that are appropriate, like, you know, I'm not going to post or share my name, my age, my address, my school, you know, on any social networking site. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be doing things that are. And there's language in there. I, Chris pointed out there was one where we put, "I will only follow or friend people, you know, through social media that I presently know." And we were just talking about back to back. And um, well, SSC has a page. Grace Chapel has a page, and we all we all have these pages. So, I, in that instance, the, the contract was thinking about following individuals like people. But if you if you're following a page or a like a professional movie star, that person's going to have a page. They're not going to actually be your friend. They, they have a public page. So, but you can mark on these. Like, we don't like this line in our family. We have a personal reason we think that's dumb. So you cross that out. There are blank lines for you to add some more, maybe based on your personal experience down in the lower part. But then as a group in your family, you need to determine what the consequences are for violating the policy or the agreement that you guys are making about how you're going to stay safe online. There's a place for the student and the parent to sign. We're going to encourage you to have the conversation at home, decide what you feel is relevant, and then on Palm Sunday when we have our signing, come up together with your students, and we'll just have tables and pens out, and we're all going to sign together. This is what we're agreeing that we're going to do and how we're going to live our story when we're online, when we're at home, when we're at school, wherever we are. This is how we're going to do that. So that's the social media contract for families. There's some fantastic places that you can go to get more information. And if you're feeling overwhelmed right now or you've just touched the tip of the iceberg and started to realize there's a whole universe you don't know anything about, there are places where you can go. So the first one, Department of Homeland Security is as concerned about your kids' safety, really, even though they're probably spying on you. I, that was a comment I didn't mean to make. But um, they are they're concerned about your kids' safety as well. They're doing all kinds of programs developing, like around keeping – they have public service announcements. They have all these things in place. So you can go to that website, and there's little training things that you can run through with your kids or with your families. Um, the PBS Kids Webinars is sort of that younger version if you've got, like, toddlers who want to use the iPad, like two, <laughs> or all the way up to whatever age. They've got some really neat games built around these little webinar kids and how they stay safe when they're on the World Wide Web. Um, Focus on the Family has a humongous website devoted to reviewing movies, videos, TV, games, music. They have an app that you can download for Android and iOS so that you can kind of get somebody else's opinion on, is this a good app, is this not a good app, is this safe, is this not safe. The last one is Families and Technology, and that's actually my business page. And then the event for tonight is linked to that page. So if you go online and look up Families and Technology, you can find that page. If you if you found that page, you'll be able to get all the stuff from tonight. And we'll also keep putting on there any reviews, updates, authors, blogs that are a good, godly place to find information. So at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the best I can tell you to do is to make the effort to learn. And we can point you to places where you can go learn. And if you don't know, ask. And then start a conversation with your kids. Why would we want to be safe? Why would we want to please God with what we post online? Let's agree as a family, like, this is where our boundaries are. 
um, has some books that are fantastic places that I kind of wanted you to know existed. Um, one of them is called The Overlooked Generation, which is God's Social Media Communication, Friendships, and Dating. And something we haven't spent a ton of time talking about is how sex and your teenager come together on the Internet in many unfortunate ways. And, it's, it, and if you're not standing over their shoulder, it becomes very difficult, obviously, to have any impact on protecting them. But this is a place that you can get some really good ideas about how to deal with that. Plugged In Parenting is, comes from Plugged In, which we just showed you the Focus on the Family app, which is raising media-savvy kids with love and not war. And uh, the five love languages of teenagers and talking about sex and talking about communication and talking about all these things, which are all the reasons why we want to have an idea of what our kids are doing online. This is a fantastic book, of course, written by Gary Chapman, the, the author of the love languages that we did. They also have the five love languages for children um, that you can use. And then this book, Dr. Dobson has, Parenting Isn't for Cowards, the You Can Do It book, <laughs> personal favorite of mine. So uh, there's a couple more up there. Josh and Dottie McDowell's book is something I know Jeff and Deb have used in the past and feel like that it's a great resource. Um, I get all of my books on Amazon. That's where I've gotten all of them. Just go in there and get They're almost all between like 3 and $5. Seems like somebody reads it once and then they put it back out there. So I'd suggest checking there for those things. Um, the next screen is the actual Wi-Fi password that we have a now, a now a public Wi-Fi at Grace Chapel. So because you're here tonight, you are the first to log in. So you can log in your device if you want to, especially if you have questions um, that you want to come up and get answered afterwards and you want to use your device, you can go ahead and log on to the Wi-Fi to do that. And at this time, I'm going to invite Chris to come back up. If anybody has any questions that would be like relevant for the whole group, or if you have something that you use at home or uh, something that you've like, oh, this was good for our family and you want to share it, we just want to take a couple minutes and open that up for anybody to do. Any questions? There are also maybe I came here to get this piece of information.